welcome uh, Josh Ducks. Uh, Josh uh, and I first met uh, a few years back uh, when we were filming um, uh, a piece uh, uh, for uh, Christian Schools Australia uh, in, in collaboration with Relationships Foundation, looking at the relational foundations of pedagogy, teaching practice. And it was my privilege to spend time uh, in Flinders Christian College down on the Mornington Peninsula and spend time with Josh in his classroom environment and really learning about what makes for good relational teaching, um, having studied and measured relationships between him and, and a number of his classes. Uh, but Josh, I sense um, that where we find you now is not on the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah, things have changed in the last couple of years um, and particularly in the last nine months. So we're, I'm currently now in Siem Reap in Cambodia. Uh, we arrived here on July the 21st, 2019. I like that date because it's the same date that man first stepped on the moon 50 years earlier. Wow. So, I don't know, there's, there's kind of some symbol, symbolism that I like there, that we first stepped foot into uh, Cambodia on the same day. Yeah, so we came with the intention of working at Hope International School it's a non-denominational international Christian school uh, and its purpose is to serve the missionary community that is working in Cambodia. So there's currently two campuses. There's a big campus in Phnom Penh that has about close to 400 students, I think. And we're based up in the, the little campus in Siem Reap where we have, I think it, currently it's 82 students across preschool through to currently year nine so yeah it's it's um it's a different place to work than flinders yeah flinders had our campus alone had uh, a thousand nearly a thousand students and we've come to these tiny classrooms and i'm teaching in maths and science to middle school and high school kids and my class size ranges from three <laughs> to for 17 at the very most. But yeah, it's been a remarkable little journey the last 10 months. And so tell me, what was it like settling in as a, as a family? How, did, how, how, how long did that take? And, and, and what were the things that helped you settle more quickly? I guess um, it all started many years ago. Um, when I first got the job at Flinders, they advertised positions vacant at Hope International School in Cambodia. So that was in 2016. It was actually the very first day that I started work at Flinders. I saw the job and commented to my wife and she said, there is no way, Josh, we are not moving to Cambodia. <laughs> so three years later, after a random application and a phone interview, a week later, we got appointed the job. Um, the start date was negotiable. We had to work things out. But we spoke to the executive principal and the principal at Flinders College and we said, this is what we want to do. And Cam Pierce and Nick Haynes have been incredibly supportive. Um, but along with our home church, we spoke to them too. They have also been incredibly supportive. And the first thing that was recommended by many people was if you're going into the mission field, don't do it alone. And I thought, mission field? I'm not going as a missionary. I'm just going to teach. I'm not a missionary. But um, the more I thought about it, the more that I spoke to other people, we went on a little mission conference, 
these old wise ex-missionaries gave us a lot of advice and they said that the support network that you gain from being with a mission organization is invaluable. So we signed up with a mission agency. We're actually with um, an agency called InterServe. And so now we've got, we've got three parts. There's school, which has been incredibly supportive. There's the home church and there's our, our mission agency. But the benefit of having the mission agency, we landed on the ground, people from school met us and people from the agency. And to instantly, as soon as we got into CM Reef, we had a community. Um, they knew us by name. We'd communicated by email. We'd had Zoom meetings with people. So there was a level of familiarity for me. We knew each other a little bit. Um, and because of those networks, we've just been able to integrate really well. So that's the biggest um, blessing in disguise. I thought, no, nah, I don't want to be a missionary. I'm just going to go to be a teacher. But uh, I've resigned myself to understanding that I am serving the missionaries and I want to build community with the kids and the parents that have given up so much to serve the Khmer people here in Cambodia. Um, so me playing this little small cog in the missionary wheel, I guess, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a missionary. Um, and the support that we have gained from the school network, our new home church here, church from Australia and InterServe, uh, have enabled us just to yeah, settle in. I mean, it was hard because you arrive, I can't understand what anybody's saying. I don't know the roads. I didn't know where we were supposed to be living. And the first three months really were, were hard. I won't deny that. But with the support of people, I mean, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? People and the relationships that we built with those people. Uh, they showed us the roads. They showed us the markets. They showed us, they helped us find a house. Um, we met some local people and we've connected in with yeah, some, some Cambodian people. So yeah, it's been really... A really interesting journey. It hasn't been easy, mm. but nine months in, we feel settled despite Corona. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Corona is present, I think, um, yeah, we feel comfortable. And as a family, I've got my wife and two boys with me. Um, we feel really at peace with knowing that this is where God wants us at the moment. And I don't say that lightly because I'm not like, I don't find myself being particularly spiritual or, I don't know, sometimes I question how much I, I actually trust in God. But I know that this is where we're supposed to be and if God has had his hand firmly on our lives um, yeah, and really looked after us in the, in the last nine and a half months now. Amazing. That's so encouraging. Um, you've already spoken about some of the real challenges to building relationship just implicitly. Um, yeah. in the inability to really kind of speak the local language because communication is so fundamental to relationships. So how's mm -hmm. that going for you? I mean, you know, do, do, you, do you speak any of the, of, the, of the local language now? What is communication like on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I guess um, from our perspective, we're in a unique position because we're working in an international school that speaks English. Yes. So the majority of time, we speak English with the students. We speak English with the staff. Um, the Khmer, the Cambodian people that work at school, all have very good English, and um, that's the language that we that we enforce with the kids too. We don't actually allow them to speak their native tongue because it can form a bit too much 
click in the school. So we try and encourage everyone just to speak English. So at work, it's fine. At home, it's easy. When we go to home church, there is probably 20 different nations represented at the house church that we go to, um, but everybody speaks English there too. The rest of the time, it can be challenging because unlike other people that have come here to serve Cambodian people, we haven't immersed ourselves in language. So we do, I go to lessons uh, once a week. I only do an hour a week of language. Um, and I can say, hi, how's it going? Can I have this for dinner? And count to 10, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of basic things and I'm picking up a little bit more, but it's incredibly difficult. It is. We've got a, um, a guy that comes and hangs out with us. He's actually the gardener at school and I invite him around with a few of the other guys to play cards. They're all Cambodian people. Um, and I was at school with him the other day. I wanted, to, I wanted to hang out with him. I wanted to chat with him. So I said, hi. I said, how are you going? And then I said, uh, what are you up to on Saturday? And then he, he responded. And then I had, no, I had no further language. I was stuck. I just couldn't say anything. So I had to point to a flower and say, yeah, that's a cool-looking flower. And that was the, you know, I was sad that that was the extent of our conversation. So, yeah, it's, that's, it's challenging. It's challenging. I mean, it's challenging for people who have been 10 years here too because Khmer is a difficult language. And when you start talking about emotions and feelings and uh, incorporating slang, I think it's the biggest frustration of people who have been here many many years they still find it difficult to to communicate yeah and um but you're finding because the the local languages uh, are in some way um sort of um what's the word secondary to english at the uh, at the other school um actually teaching the process of teaching is easier day in day out yeah i mean uh, there is 17 students in the secondary college uh, and of those 17 students, there are only two English as a first language students, wow. only two of them. So one of them is from Australia, one of them is from Canada. The rest of them are from a bunch of different European countries uh, and, and all over Asia. So, but despite that, they're actually, they actually, the secondary students actually have pretty good English. Mm. So I can convey my language. I slow down my speaking a little bit, um, keep it simple. And the kids are very good because if they don't understand, they're not generally not too afraid to ask. Um, oh, Mr. Mr. Ducks, what did you mean by, by this phrase? Or what does this mean in the textbook? Or can you, can you explain this question to me? So in the classroom, generally it's, 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 it's manageable. For my wife who teaches in the prep school with the, with the K1 kids, vastly different. They have very little English. Yeah. So I contacted you again. I mean, obviously, we've kept in touch since the filmmaking days, and particularly since you moved to Cambodia, uh, you mm-hmm. write out, send out a prayer letter regularly, which we, we receive and love reading. Um, and but actually it was an email to me recently that uh, we'd had an exchange of emails and and you made you know perhaps what you thought was a pretty throwaway comment but I thought was significant and that's that was you know clearly um, at the time of 
filming this interview with you today. Uh, it is, um, we are safely indoors, um, but it is, it is strange outside. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I went shopping yesterday. Um, we were, we were um, uh, led into the store very slowly and deliberately. Mm-hmm. Um, as mm-hmm. of yesterday, our death toll in the UK is over 26,000. Um, this is a really, really difficult time for the world. Um, and mm-hmm. it has had a profound impact on on the way in which we get, gather as community and the way we educate children. Um, mm-hmm. And in respect to the fact that I talk from a UK context today, um, um, my new home uh, of Melbourne in, in Victoria, those schools are also still um, mm-hmm. open uh, for key worker families, but 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 closed um, uh, largely to to the to the population. So that means that teaching and learning has had to go um, online. Um, some people have experienced this um, successfully for many years, but we've never done this at scale before. And I remember you wrote to me recently and said, actually, thinking back to that work we did, the measurement of relationships that took place in my classroom, the sort of interactions we had about what it means to be a relational teacher, I've really drawn on that in the last few weeks as we've gone online, and it's really helped me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what I wanted to do was, as part of today, other than connect with you personally, was to really sort of unpack that and what that means um, mm-hmm. for you. Tell me, what, what first prompted me, you to, to send me that, that particular message? Well, uh, like you guys in uh, the UK, we've had schools closed uh, for quite a while now. Actually, we've closed our schools at the beginning of March. That's been a solid two months. Mm. We've had a short two-week uh, break for Easter, but we've been teaching online now for six or seven weeks. And in the first few weeks, we were unsure as to how long this was going to last. Um, it, initially, I thought it could only be two weeks. Oh, yeah, we can, I can manage teaching online for two weeks. But after those two weeks and after this, the holiday break, we came back and I was still teaching online. I was feeling quite depressed, to be honest, Mm. because I'd been holed up inside. Um, There was very little communication with my friends or other people. And all of my work was through this computer interface. And what I realised was that I'm teaching 99%, well, not not, I'm teaching a lot of the same content but there is no relationship. There is no actual interaction with the student. And sure, we met over the, we Zoom with them. We actually use a program called Google Meet. Um, And you see them, but there is no, there's no substitute for the physical interaction, for seeing somebody in person. Um, And I I found it really difficult. I found it, really hard to actually want to inspire kids in their learning because I felt so distant from them. And, yeah, I was reflecting on um, what we had done a few years earlier and how important relationships are. I mean, that's the whole reason I got into teaching because I value relationships and being, and being with people. I think I'm an extrovert in that regard of gaining energy from being with people. Um, and to remove that just made it really challenging for me. So, yeah, I think I began to realise how valuable personal relationships and being with people are 
specifically in teaching. Yes. So, so tell me about these Google Meets. Um, tell me about what it's like to like be in the classroom. How easy is it, for example, to pick up um, individual pupils' moods or engagement? So what are, and perhaps what are those? What are the yeah. most like reliable clues that people are engaged? So, for example, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a famous story in the papers uh, only only about a week ago about about a young lady um, who had uh, joined a virtual classroom, and mm-hmm. uh, she she had um, uh, taken a picture of herself in a very attentive pose, or I think it was just a, a small gif, and then posted that on Zoom, and then and then and then disappeared into the garden to enjoy the sunshine. Yeah. Um, yeah. which is really creative the the funny thing for me is that you know what what that did at that moment was to suggest that 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 technology like this definitely can't work that you can only really connect with people when you are in the same room with them and i i actually partially agree with that although i wonder how many times do our young people come into classroom and so, for some of them it is the case that they are deeply disconnected and they are somewhere else their mind is elsewhere now you've put up their their visible physical gif to say i'm here but they are they're not they're not there and isn't it funny that it's this particular crisis that makes us start to really bury down into what it genuinely means to connect with another human being anyway i just wondered how easy it is to sort of pick up some of these cues when you're when you're distance teaching yeah, look, when you walk into a classroom, you can read the room really easily. I mean, you can see the body language, you can see whether the books are out. Um, when, you, when you log into your Zoom classroom, um, Google Meet, it's exactly the same Zoom format. Um, you've, got, you've got this much visible and the kids, exactly as you described, choose what they want to show you. Now, if they just want to show you the wall, they can show you the wall. But generally, it's, it's a face and no work. There's not much body language happening below the shoulders. Yes. And, um, and more often than not, a lot of the kids uh, are relatively self-conscious and choose to turn off their video. Wow. So um, we, I ask them to show, put on their video and make sure that they're, they're present and, and, and I see them at least once. We mark the role. We, we have typically we have six 50-minute periods. And our online Zoom meetings only go for 25 minutes. So um, it's incredibly difficult to read a room. It is incredibly difficult. I think the best way that I've worked out how to discover where the kids are at is simply by questioning. You have to communicate with them and you have to expect them to give a response. Um, now, that's, that's difficult in Cambodia sometimes because the internet is difficult. And, and there's a bunch of reasons that make life hard. But if a kid can respond to your question and your, can you explain that, please, for me? How did you do that? What do you mean when you say? Then through at least these verbal words, you get to hear a little bit of what they're thinking about. But, yeah, honestly, it's really hard. Yeah, so um, have you experimented with different... I mean, so what, what, what does a normal 25 minutes look like for you? I mean, are there, do, you, do you experiment with things like group work? Um, that can, can, can you do that in, in, in the format that you're using? Uh, I haven't done any group work per se. Um, a few of my classes are only three students, so the whole class essentially is a group. Um, we have done experiments... Uh, I've, I've set them home homework assignments 
where they are required to work as a group with their parents or their siblings. Mm. Um, they've had to draw little maps of their of their bedroom and draw it to scale. They've been doing some egg os- osmosis experiments um, at home with their parents. But working, yeah, working as a group with the class uh, has has been challenging for me um, today. But having them work with their family uh, in where they can actually see each other and communicate together um, has been good. And, in fact, I teach a lot of kids that have siblings in other years and there's been an element of of cross-curricular work together with their their buddies and that's been a little bit good to see. Yeah, because that must be a real difference, right, because engaging with with parents at this time is something we're having to do more actively and more purposefully. Um, um, do you think that has that has changed in this season? How how has your how has your relationship with parents differed um, since since the lockdown began? Do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, I think of uh, my wife and our two boys immediately because uh, we've got two boys that are school aged. They're in grade two and grade four. My wife's a teacher, um, and typically. At a normal school, when we're when we're going to physical school, the boys will go to school and they come back. They might ask us a few homework questions uh, over the dinner table, but there's not a lot of deliberate and specific input from us. But every day, every day during online teaching, um, my wife has to sit with the two boys, and class classes for them starts at seven a.m. and they go through till about ten thirty. So. That interaction has changed. I imagine that's the same for a lot of families. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to a few parents um, of the students that I te- teach, and specifically for the primary-aged kids, um, who they also have children that age, um, they've found it really challenging because they've had to sit with their kid and explain the work the entire time. Um, the secondary, the secondary kids have been a little bit different because the parents that I've spoken to. I've said that they've gone off to their room to do their work. And, and uh, I know that they have been doing uh, some really good work, but to manage that and to do follow-up and check-ins and make sure that the work is submitted and timely and of a good standard um, has brought about new ways of how, how, how do we do that? How do we assess where they're going and, and how do we make sure that they're actually grasping the concepts that we're trying to teach them? Yeah, very good. Tell me about how you um, thinking about how you just really create. One of the things you spoke of a moment ago is about the mood of a classroom and really, you know, the books out, uh, they're ready for learning. I, I was thinking about how we even create the kind of ambience of a classroom. So, so um, you know, and usually we'll use all sorts of artifacts or pieces of work to create this classroom culture. So, what's working best for you in terms of? This this new virtual environment to try and set the tone of what this lesson is going to be like. Yeah, uh, it's about creating some sort of presence for me because I'm not I'm not a decorator, and even in my physical classrooms, often the walls are blank, and I'm I'm pretty bad at that. But what I like to bring into the classroom is a personality, a sense of presence, a sense of um, approachability for the kids, a sense of control, um, a sense of direction for their learning. So 
to try and bring that into the classroom, an online virtual classroom, has been my challenge. How, how do you, I mean, it's easy to post um, YouTube videos that other people have made and refer them to websites and put a whole bunch of documents on, on our Google Classroom sharing platform. That's easy. We can do that. But how do I bring about that sense of uh, enthusiasm that the kids want to see for learning um, in an online classroom? So in my, I'm a bit of a technophobe, but I have tried to change and I've been making some of my own teaching videos. Right. I understand that um, during our virtual classroom, there's very little time to do any teaching. You spend, we need to spend the 25 minutes checking in and talking to the kids, asking them how they're going, asking them about their work, getting them to explain things. There's no time to try and explain what soccer tower means and how do you put sign is opposite over hypotenuse. You can't do that. So I've been, rather than just constantly sending YouTube videos and links to other teaching uh, websites, I thought they need to see a bit of Mr. Ducks, the teacher that they that they once knew, the teacher that they they had some sort of relationship with, the teacher that they know a little bit about. So short videos have made a huge difference. Something that I can post um, not for the world to see, but just for our kids to see. Um, something that they can rewatch if they need to revisit the concept. And then something that we can talk about when we meet as the class. That's been really important. That's fascinating because obviously I was I was really thinking about um and there's two things that spring to mind. Number one was just just how um yeah, tactile science is as a subject. You know, it, it, as a, a head of teaching and learning a school, it's the one classroom that you definitely would always walk into and then something active was happening mm-hmm. and, and kids were rarely behind desks. They were gaggled around somebody, looking at something, holding something, smelling something. Um, mm-hmm. And I just sense how challenging that must be as a subject to yeah. teach um, it, it, at this time. Yeah, it has been challenging, but... It has been challenging because we don't have the resources at school. The, um, the kids don't have the chemicals at home. They don't have the glassware. But that being said, uh, it's actually been the one subject that I have enjoyed setting different types of tasks for. You can't, uh, in maths, easily set many physical activities that are engaging at home. I shouldn't say that because you probably can do lots of great things. Sure. But the thing I'm particularly thinking about is recently I've been able to do uh, the egg osmosis crack with the kids. So for a week, for a week, they've had the opportunity to conduct this experiment at home with basic, with basic materials that they can buy at the supermarket. Uh, and then they're going to write this report on it. And it's the one task that the kids have been able to take a bit more ownership of. They have been able to... Uh, share some ideas with each other on their, on their Google Classroom. And they've actually begun to own it a little bit. They've taken some photos, they're sharing with one another, uh, and I'm looking forward to see how that comes out. Um, so we've done a few little things like that. We were looking at um, levers in physics and the kids had to make some levers at home and share their pictures and images and explanation, uh, explanations of what they've done. So 
that actually has been fun to try and think about. How can I try and engage them in these hands-on tactile experiments at home when typically all of the stuff is at school? Yeah. One of the other challenges, um, and this is very true here, as I'm sure it is, is, is there, is that this has prompted a debate about naturally about what education is really for. Um, because there's a whole bunch of things that you can do online. Um, and there's many been arguing we should have done, been doing more um, teaching in this way um, for many years now. But what's really clear is that when schools close, in inverted commas, when children go back to their homes, many of those children are very vulnerable. They're vulnerable um, from the social pressures around them and psychological pressures um, because they may be coming from a home context where resources are really scarce um, and Mm -hmm. stretched. Or they may be coming from a context where it's not safe for them to be at home. And so it really brings to the foreground the need for a school um, to really watch over a student pastorally, to really... Um, to be um, a different parental figure in their life, to really be there for them in a different way. Um, so I'm just wondering, firstly, yeah, how you're on a day-to-day basis kind of looking out for those children who are more socially isolated. How are you supporting those children in the kind of the other stuff, not the learning stuff? Mm, yeah. Uh, we have we have 25-minute periods. So every period we check in with the kids. Um, I guess... There is a level of accountability with that for them because they are expected to turn up to each of those six periods uh, and we mark the role and follow up immediately from the school office if there's any, if there's any non-attendance there. Um, but in those check-ins, as I mentioned before, the primary thing, the prim- primary discussion, the primary thing that we do is have a discussion. And it's not just talking about the work but we just check in and see how they're going as well. So we also have two devotions in the morning on Wednesdays and Fridays, and we have a whole school virtual assembly on Mondays, which is really just a YouTube video that we've made and posted for the kids to watch. But um, probably the most important time is is our morning devotions because there we get 20 minutes with the kids, um, I get to share a devotion and the kids also lead devotions. So there is, there is a real spiritual element, um, which we can probably talk more about later on, but mm. the, the purpose of the devotion time or the pastoral checking is literally to check in and see how they're going. Um, but as we mentioned before, it's so easy to hide behind the screen. Um, the kids really only show what they want to show they only ever going to say what they want you to hear Um, and to ask those probing questions and try and get an honest answer has been challenging Um, yeah so from from a classroom level that's what we've been doing we have a an online student council that meets regularly with our with our most vulnerable kids yes and that's still been happening um, regularly despite not being in physical school. So that's been really beneficial for those kids. Um, and in the unique position that we are here, because a lot of the kids are with um, a missionary agency, they also have a huge um, pastoral care program and support network from their, their agencies as well. So 
we are in a u- unique position, but I think for the students, the school is obviously the primary level of connection and care for them. Um, and trying to get them to give an honest answer and, and share openly about how they're feeling, uh, yeah, has been difficult, but important. So just to, just just let, let's go there. That you know you, you start to allude to the fact that there is that in this wider life there's a there's a need to encourage and develop their their sort of their spiritual growth. What does yeah. that, what does that look like at this time? How is that how is that different from being directly in the school above and beyond what you've just what you you've just alluded to? Uh, yeah, I think we have a lot of time for reflection when we're in isolation, don't we? We do. Um, so I've certainly thought a lot about who I am and who, what is my role in the world. <clears throat> and I think the kids have done a lot of that as well. They've alluded to it themselves when we meet uh, in our devotion time. And some of the devotions that they've led uh, demonstrates that they've been thinking about this as well. So I guess it's important to continue to teach them that Jesus has been chasing them and will continue to chase them uh, because he loves us also also deeply. And that's probably been the theme that I've been talking about with the students in the last couple of weeks. I love the story about um, after we've just had Easter. So uh, Mary goes to the tomb and she's looking for someone. She's searching for Jesus. She can't find him. The angels say that he's gone away. And then some other bloke rocks up and says, who are you looking for? He initiates this conversation. And, in fact, of course, it's Jesus. Jesus asks, who are you looking for? So we can look as much as we like, but what I've been trying to impress on the kids is that it's Jesus that chases us. He's always looking out for us. Another great story after Easter, he's walking on the road to Emmaus. There's two two disciples walking along. And then Jesus rocks up and just has a conversation with them. And, and they eventually invite him to his house. And it's not until later that he reveals that he's been there the whole time. So not only does he chase us, but he's there present with us, mm. challenging us, getting us to think about things. During isolation, um, Jesus is still with us. He's still chasing us. He's still challenging us. We're still learning more about him and the world. Um, that's been my little theme, my little, my, my little discussions with the kids. But, yeah, what does it look like to challenge them? I, I just like to ask, ask them the questions. You know, what does that mean for you? What does it look like? What, what have you been reading? What have you been, what have you been praying about? Uh, how can we pray for you? What do you want prayer for? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what, what's interesting? What's hard? So, yeah, I think being real with the kids, sir. I like to show a bit of vulnerability. I'm certainly <laughs> certainly flawed in many aspects, um, but I think it's good that the kids get to hear some of those stories. That's, that's lovely, Josh. That's a real encouragement. I just wanted to finally ask you about um, about the relationships between these young people because one of the things I've noticed amongst their own children is whilst the, the provision for them, um, the education provision for them has been excellent, um, their own attitude to learning has been, you know, just amazing, really, in, in the in the in the context. And they're lucky because they've got two two teacher parents 
as they do, as, you, as your kids do in your home. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that they can't seem to replace is the, is the, is the sort of um, the affirmation, encouragement, support they get from their peer group, which has completely disappeared. Yeah. Um, um, so h- how can we recreate, can we recreate the relationships that exist between children at this time? What, what are the, some of the things that you've noticed, if anything, that you might give as encouragement to, to people out there listening to this? Because for me, that clearly is one of the greatest struggles. Yeah, as you said, we, we've noticed exactly the same thing with our boys. Um, and in fact, what what have been two outgoing, gregarious, fun-loving kids have found it really tough in the last six weeks. So that I see that from a personal perspective, but I also see it in the kids that I've taught because despite some of the students um, not having a great relationship with all of their peers, when they come to school, they still connect. And now that they haven't been connecting, when I see them online, um, there are very few words. And, and I, can, I, I asked one of the guys, I said, what, what's, what have you been doing? Just been playing video games was his response. So just not only is he um, removing himself from, or has, not only has he been removed from something where there is this community, he's put into it, himself into another situation that's, causing other things. So for some students, it's been really, really difficult. But I was really pleased yesterday, in fact, in class. I had class with Year 9 Science and I logged on. And as soon as we logged on, two girls just burst out laughing. I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And... I, was totally, I didn't know if I had, like, something on my face or if, if I'd said something wrong or, you know, being, being me, I'm always, oh, it must be about me. I said, what's going on, girls? They, they refused to tell me. Later on, I said, you, come on, you've got to share the joke. It's got to be some joke. And what was lovely to hear was that one of the girls said the other girl had sent her a message about something and had been talking about something. So when she saw her, she actually laughed out loud at the joke that they had made. That's lovely. The key thing here was that these two girls, despite being on the other side of the country, basically, were still communicating and still sharing jokes and and sharing ideas and connecting to one another. And that was the, the standout lesson for me, that how important is it for us to connect with people? Mm. I experienced the same thing. If, I, if I'm stuck at home and I don't talk to people, um, I, I find it difficult and I imagine the kids are feeling it exactly the same way but when I do connect with somebody and when I say how's it going to my friend over Zoom, there is a level of connection that is invaluable um, so that when I see them again in person, hopefully in the not too distant future, there is still that relationship thread that we continue to build and Creating opportunities where the kids talk to one another is so important. Um, if, it's, if it's via email or via some sort of messaging chat or whether it's a video call, um, in the classroom, I think there needs to be that level of professional connection. Um, so 
with our school, all of the chats that the kids are allowed to be in are saved and recorded um, despite the teacher not being there. So they can communicate with one another and that's been really valuable. So as a teacher, continuing to encourage those conversations to happen um, and making sure that the kids who aren't being involved very much are questioned and, and given the opportunity to share some of their thoughts uh, in a group has been really, really important. Josh, that's wonderful. It's been fabulous talking to you today. Uh, it's difficult not being in the same room as you, but I look forward to one day, uh, hopefully, um, yeah, um, yeah, seeing you uh, properly again. Thanks very much for your time today, and we wish you, um, yeah, every blessing uh, in 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 your time in Cambodia, however long uh, you you are called to be there. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Go well, my brother. Thank you.